Well, hello, friends, and welcome to His Mighty Hand, the radio ministry and podcast ministry of the Highland Terrace Baptist Church, located in Greenville, Texas. Now, in these few moments we spend together each week, you'll hear great and stirring interviews and powerful messages from the Word of God. But the reason for it all is so you can be touched by... Good morning, it's the His Mighty Hand radio podcast and broadcast. I'm Pastor Chet Haney of the Highland Terrace Baptist Church here in Greenville, Texas. And what a privilege to serve at this church at this time when God is doing so many great things. And uh, one of them is uh, raising up an opportunity for us to learn about the ways of God. We're so fortunate to have author Roy Edgman with us here in our studio today. Thank you so much, Roy, for coming over to be with us today. We're very appreciative. Thank you. It's an honor to be with you. Well, we're excited about your book, The Ways of God, that I only recently became familiar with, but I knew about you. And you are a big deal, Roy, if I may say so, in our Southern Baptist Convention life, especially in the area of discipleship. This has been a a passion of yours and really an assignment of yours for many, many years, correct? It has. I had the privilege of directing the work for our Baptist Sunday School Board, now Lifeway, uh, and for 24 years I mm-hmm. was the director of discipleship for the Southern Baptist Convention and uh, retired uh, here to uh, Texas and Sulphur Springs and uh, – but I still have that passion and I'm still concerned and, and, uh, the book that, uh, you've asked about in the ways of God is certainly a discipleship book. Amen. So your assignment was to supervise the growth of Southern Baptist believers all over the world. Yes. That's a big assignment. Uh, we had a big assignment and, yes. uh, but we had some terrific people. To work mm-hmm. with, uh, right. We had uh, Avery Willis, who uh, author of Master Life, author of Master Life. Right. He he was actually the president of the seminary in Indonesia. My goodness! And uh, uh, he and I met uh, at the evangelism where I was the evangelism right. planner for the Southern Baptist Convention with our home mission board. Wow. And uh, he was there to work with us and for us to work with him on evangelism in Indonesia. Yes. And he told me about a plan that he had of uh, helping men to grow and call Master Life. Well, it, it wasn't had a name at that time. Yeah. It wasn't, uh, didn't have a name. But he was home on furlough and was working with his home church mm-hmm. in producing a discipleship. And I said, uh, you don't know it because it hadn't been announced, but I'm going to be the new church training director for Southern Baptist Convention. And I've been asked to develop a discipleship program. Hmm. And he said, well, what's your definition of discipleship? <laughs> and I said, well, uh, let's do it like this. We had one of those chalkboards that you could flip. Right. I said, I'll write mine on one side, and you write yours on the other, <laughs> and let's see what we come out with. Yeah. And we did that. Yeah. 
and there was one word difference. Are you serious? And and that word wasn't a word. (laughs) It it was pass-onable. (laughs) <laughs> and avery had that on his side i said avery you cheated that's not a word so pass honorable was his way of saying that disciples should make disciples exactly right and you do not teach something that cannot be passed on to others amen amen reproducing discipleship yes that's we don't want to just dig a hole and go deep and uh learn we've got to learn how to reproduce our enthusiasm for the Lord in the lives of others. Absolutely. That's a big it's to thing with away. me. Amen. Amen. Well, um, Brother Roy, thank you so much for um, sharing that uh, background with us. And as you know, I've shared with you, we've had a, a, a wonderful and yet arresting moment in our church life that happened through the life of one of our young ladies named Connie Ochoa. And through her own pain and crisis of life, she came literally to your book, The Ways of God, and devoured it from cover to cover, coast to coast. She read every page and uh, wrote her testimony in the margins and underlined many uh, key concepts and filled out all the blanks. She brought that to me because it had such a powerful effect on her. And of course, I recognized the names of the authors. Henry Blackaby, of course, a world renowned author because of the book Experiencing God that has really touched the world, literally. And then Roy Edgman, uh, I knew of you because you and I have uh, uh, spent lots of time together. I've been in your home many times and you've helped me so much as a pastor to be a better pastor and uh, you've given me resources and counseling and encouragement. And I said, I know that guy. Let me call him and see if we could work something out. One thing led to another, and we're about to have a rare privilege to have you as a guest teacher come into our church and teach your own book. Well, it's a, uh, an honor for me to do that, and I'm grateful that I live close and uh, will be able to do it. and. I've continually been an interim pastor, but uh, my Wednesday nights are free. Well, how about that? You know, we couldn't have planned this. It was literally dropped in our lap by the Holy Spirit. And that's true of a lot of things in our church right now. We're about to build a building that we could not have done by ourselves. God had to provide in order for that building to be even possible. And we'll be going into that building um, in June, uh, just about the time we finish up the ways of God, June or July, we'll be uh, about ready to move into that building. And one of the things we've been saying is we don't want the building to be the focus. We want it to be the glory of the Lord. And I think to help with that, as a church to sit down together and to learn together how God works how God acts, how God speaks, who God is, the ways of God. This is a really strategic moment for us, and I'm so thankful that we're going to be able to do this. Now, as you've studied the ways of God, you told me you found 188 verses on the ways of God, five of which only are in the New Testament. The rest are in the Old Testament. How have you been able to uh, make connections between uh, 
the biblical theology that you've learned about the ways of God and just the practical side of that in the local church? Well, I think that uh, when you look at the Old Testament, that's, mm-hmm. that is our foundation mm-hmm. to really understand God. Right. And to understand the love of God and, and the fact that he would come to this earth. Yeah. Uh, in the New Testament. And, uh, when we understand the ways of God, uh, we understand how to follow God. Mm. Uh, I, I'm thinking of one thing with the children of Israel. He, uh, he put that cloud. Right. And, uh, as one guy says, all you had to do was follow the cloud. <laughs> well, there, there's a, a lot of teachings like that in the Old Testament. Right. And when you know what those teachings are, you can follow the cloud. Amen. And uh, God would uh, light it up at night where they could see it, and then in the morning they could see it, and the instructions were, uh, mm. When the cloud moves, you move. Amen. And uh, it's, that's kind of the way it is in our life, but we must know how to identify those clouds. Amen. And so those are the ways that we talk about. Amen. And it's just so interesting that uh, over and over again, every prophet would talk about the ways of God. Mm-hmm. And when we know those ways, it's easy to follow the God's plan yeah. and to identify it. One of my favorite uh, preaching authors is um, a seminary president by the name of Brian Chapel up in Kansas City who's written a book called Christ-Centered Preaching. And he says every scripture has a fallen condition focus. In other words, God has provided each scripture to touch and to address and to speak to some issue of our fallenness as uh, fallen creatures and I think of this concerning the ways of God with Isaiah 55. The Bible says his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And really, your work, along with Brother Henry Blackaby, has addressed a fallen condition that we all suffer from. We need to know the ways of God, but his ways are higher than our ways. Thank you for addressing that and for giving us some help so we can learn the ways of God. When we come back, Roy, could I ask you to share a little bit more about that, the contrast between the ways of God and the ways of man and how we can uh, help to close that gap? Would that be all right? I'd love to do it. Okay, very good. We're uh, in the uh, office today, my studio, with Roy Edgman, who has come to talk about his book, The Ways of God, which we're going to be studying together at Highland Terrace on the dates April 7th through May 26th of this year, each Wednesday night for eight consecutive weeks in sequence at 6 o'clock. What a privilege this is going to be, and we're looking forward to it and hope you as our listener can be a part of it. Thank you for tuning in today to listen to the His Mighty Hand radio broadcast and podcast. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chet. Yesterday I had a date. I went out on a date with my little granddaughter and uh, bless her heart. She had been in Georgia all week visiting her cousins with my wife. And uh, when she got back, 
She said, uh, Grandpa, you know what Saturday is, right? And I was like, hmm, somebody's birthday. She says, it's our special day together. Uh, I had kind of forgotten, but she didn't. So yesterday, uh, our date started with puppies. They're enjoying a litter of beautiful, sable German Shepherd puppies that they've had at their house. And so we got to look at them. It reminded me of my German Shepherd I used to have. Some of y'all may remember Jake. He made it to one or two church picnics uh, back in his day. And I thought he was an amazing dog. I guess everybody feels that way about their dog. But one of the amazing things about Jake was his staying power. He had the ability and the willingness to stay. When you told uh, uh, a dog to stay, that's what you want him to do. And Jake would stay all day in the back of my truck. I remember one time going on a little local mission trip up in Denison. And we were working together doing some building work, a little building project. And that dog of mine stayed in the back of my truck the whole time we were out there. And uh, one of our... One of our men, James Tall, asked me, how did you teach him to stay like that? And, of course, I didn't. It wasn't anything I taught Jake. It was just intuitive with him. He had such a desire to uh, be loyal and obedient, whether it's at Walmart or whether I went took him to the office or I took him to the hospital. Most of the time, he would stay in that truck. Now, today... I want to borrow a play from the dog training book. And I want us to teach not our pets, but our minds to stay. It's very important to learn this trick if you are uh, serious about perfection. I'm going to share with you one attainable kind of perfection that you can take with you when you walk out that door today. Uh, it's available to you, but you have to learn to stay. And I'm going to explain that to you in a moment. This is one of the most rewarding treasures, by the way, this perfection I'll, I'll teach you about. It's one of the highest treasures. I believe it's a, a heavenly treasure. And many times in our lives, we spend time in pursuit of what we call perfection, though we find it elusive. We look for that perfect cup of coffee or that that perfect round of golf, or maybe uh, something else perfect. And it's kind of hard to find perfect, isn't it? They say nobody's perfect. They say nothing's perfect. Well, I'm going to show you something that is perfect today, and you can have it if you learn to stay. It is in the book of Isaiah, chapter 26, verse 3. This is our text for this morning, and I want to describe to you what... The Bible mentions as a perfect peace. Now, this is not just any ordinary kind of peace. This is what God calls through his word, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, through the prophet Isaiah, a perfect peace. Now, wouldn't you like to have a peace like that? A peace that you could count on, a peace that's rock solid, A peace that is unshakable by the world or the circumstances of this life. It's available for those who stay. Now let's look at it for a moment. First of all, what is the nature of this peace? In Isaiah 26, 3, the Bible says, 
Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Now, Jesus talked about this peace in John chapter 14, verse 27, when he said, Peace give I to you. Not as the world gives, but my peace give I to you. Now, when the world gives peace, it's basically one of three kinds of peace. A lot of people think that peace is financial. If you want to have peace of mind for the future, you got to have a good retirement plan. You got to have a good, uh, you know, bank account. You've got to have a good 403B, a good pension that's saved up for you because this will give you peace because of finances. Now there's another kind of peace that the world knows and that is political peace. We have ambassadors and rulers and countries with embassies all over this world who come together to try to work out peace between nations. And then there's one other kind of peace I've noticed in this world. It's what I call the sentimental peace that comes maybe with a Hallmark card or may come with a poem or a nice little thought. Maybe a warm fuzzy. That's kind of what we think of as peace of mind and heart. Well, let me tell you about financial peace. It is shaky. And I'll tell you about political peace. It's nothing more than a show. And I'll tell you about sentimental peace. It is shallow. God offers, in contrast to these things, a true peace, a definite peace, an everlasting peace, and Isaiah calls it a perfect peace. Now, what's so good about it? Well, let's go to Philippians chapter 4 for a moment, and we're going to see how the Bible describes this peace in two basic concepts that are in one verse. Let me just read it for you. Philippians chapter 4 verse 7 says, The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now in this one verse, you see a description and an action. The description says that the peace of God is mysterious. The action says the peace of God is serious. It's mysterious and serious. Now what makes it mysterious? Well, the Bible says you can't understand it. You can't uh, explain it. You can't really wrap your mind around it. You can't justify it. Uh, and you don't really have to. You cannot explain the peace of God. Don't even try. Because the Bible says the peace of God passes all understanding. It supersedes all explanation. It is better than your best attempt to try to describe it. Uh, it's mysterious. And that's part of what makes it powerful. The peace of God, like God himself, is a lot bigger than you. Aren't you glad you serve a God who's bigger than you? A God who's too big for your little four-pound brain to try to uh, understand or describe or comprehend? God is so much more 
than whatever we think he may be. And his peace is the same way. It's the peace of God that passes all understanding. That is a mysterious peace. And we ought to have a reverential mysticism in our minds toward that, um, that mystery. It's mysterious. That's part of what makes it wonderful. It's more than we can really explain, more than we can really understand. Even in the midst of difficult circumstances, we can have a peace that is larger than ourselves. Lift me, the Bible says, to the rock that is higher than I. A peace I can't explain, a peace I can't really understand, that's the peace of God. It's a perfect peace. Now, what does the peace of God do? There's an action in this verse as well. It's a serious action. Now listen, if you are a guard, that is, you are assigned, like the Secret Service, for instance, they're assigned to guard the President of the United States. They have a security detail. They have little radios, and they have, uh, you know, black suits and black Suburbans they drive, and it's all very serious. They take it seriously because this is their responsibility to keep VIPs safe. Well, the Bible says the peace of God has a responsibility that it takes seriously as well, and that is to guard your heart and your mind. It's mysterious. It's serious. This is the nature of this perfect peace that God gives us. And Jesus says, this is the peace I'm going to give you, not the peace the world gives. I'm going to give you my peace. I think what we ought to do is develop a healthy, a healthy skepticism toward the peace of this world. Um, because after all, Jeremiah says there will be uh, false prophets in the latter days who say peace, peace, when there is no peace. This is a peace that we should be skeptical of. But the, the perfect peace of God is a peace that we should admire. Perfection commands admiration. That's why we go sometimes to an art museum, or that's why we go sometimes to see a piece of fine machinery. We just want to look at it because uh, it's so well made and so so perfectly put together. It's like a marvel that humans could even do such a thing. We admire uh, in the pursuit of perfection, we admire excellence, and it just inspires us. Well, in the same way, the perfect peace of God commands our admiration. Paul Harris knew about it. Paul Harris is 52 years old now. I read about him in the newspaper just yesterday. When he was 20, he was working in the oil field and uh, had a pretty rough job, and he was pretty rough. He said he was not a good person. He said he was uh, more or less hooked on alcohol and drugs, working hard in the oil field. He said one day in a 1965 Chevy, they loaded up 800 feet of pipe in that one truck. And uh, he and the driver, whose name was David, took off in the truck, and they noticed they were having trouble with it because when David, who was driving, would pump the brakes, he could not even get it to slow down much less stop. He had to uh, grind the gears into a lower gear and uh, pull on the emergency brake to get the truck to stop at a gas station, and they nearly hit a tanker truck. 
Can you even imagine how scary that was? They called the boss. The boss brought some brake fluid. They put the brake fluid in the truck, and then the boss gave them a chewing because they didn't want to get back in that truck. They were scared of it. They still had about 20 miles to go to deliver pipe. They just knew they couldn't make it. Paul Harris said, I refuse to get in that truck. And he said, the boss chewed him out and made him feel so bad. He was intimidating. You know, he was uh, just chewing on him so much. He finally reluctantly got back in the truck. They started driving that truck those last 20 miles. They had to stop several times to put in more brake fluid. And finally, they came close to their destination. And there was a construction zone. And they went right through the barriers of the construction zone. They went over what's called a K-rail. They flipped over and landed upside down in a ravine. And uh, they could not budge the doors to get them out. And all of a sudden, underneath them, they're laying on the bottom of the truck. You know, they're actually, they're laying on the top of the truck, upside down. They're trying to break out the windows. They're trying to kick the windshield. And the truck has caught on fire. Now, uh, Paul looked over, and the driver, David, was dead. One of the pipes had killed him. There's nothing he could do for him. And so with all his might, he's trying as hard as he can to break one of those windows, and he's kicking and he's hitting, he's just injuring himself, trying to get that window open with his elbow. Finally, with one last effort, he said he was exhausted. And he couldn't do any more. With one last effort, he tried to kick that windshield one more time, and it didn't work. And he just resigned himself to his faith that he was just going to burn to death. And he said, at that moment, God showed up in this way. He said the front windshield of that truck, actually, it it melted the, the rubber that was holding it in. It fell out. And he was able to get out of that car. He said his hair was on fire. His face was melting. His his whole body was just engulfed in flames. And by this time, a guy from Denny's right uh, across the intersection had seen what had happened. And he showed up with a CO2 fire extinguisher. And Paul said CO2 is the one thing that was cold enough and sterile enough to put him out and keep him alive. And so they sprayed that CO2 all over him. And then he said the paramedics got there right quick because the paramedics were parked at the light at the intersection. They saw the whole thing happen. He said a nurse from the burn center where they care flighted him was also parked at the same intersection. He said when he looked back on this, it was miracle after miracle after miracle. He said in the first place, God used this to change my life. He was burned over 85% of his body. And he said, uh, I was such a lost soul. It was actually the best thing ever happened to me when I got burned. Because he said it changed my life. I let it change my life. And I decided to, you know, be a different person. As a result of that. Now I want to ask you something. How do you explain a perspective like that? How do you explain a peace like that? That, that Paul Harris uh, felt that day. You know what he said? I, I thought this was so interesting. Because I thought about being on the ladder. Uh, when I missed a step. 
couple of years ago. I thought about being in the hospital when uh, we were having this conversation about going on a ventilator just a few weeks ago. And uh, I felt the same thing that Paul described. You know what he said? He said, uh, everything happened so fast, but it was as if it was in slow motion. Have you ever had an experience like that in your life where, where you're going through something, and I mean stuff is coming at you so fast, but as you think back on it, it's almost as though it happened in slow-mo, in slow motion. Now, I want to take a moment this morning in slow motion to stop and think and reflect and consider not a partial piece, but what the Bible calls a perfect piece. How do you get that? How can you, as a believer in Jesus, know and enjoy and cling to and rely upon a perfect peace. Not the kind the world gives, but God's peace. Well, fortunately, we don't have to wonder because the Bible tells us, look at the power of staying power in verse 3. God says, I'm going to keep the person, the man or the woman, the young person in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on me. Thanks for listening today to His Mighty Hand, the radio ministry of the Highland Terrace Baptist Church located on Joe Ramsey Boulevard right here in Greenville, Texas. Join us each week at this time as we celebrate His work in our lives through 